wish I didn't have to go to this stupid meeting. I always say the wrong thing. I'm just gonna embarrass myself again. I used to be nervous about going to the meetings, but now I actually look forward to them. God always gives me the right thing to say. I heard he was an arrogant jerk. My buddy says he's full of himself and he's impossible to be around. You know what? I'm gonna give him a chance. You never know until you get to know someone. He may be really a nice guy. You want me to help him? Are you kidding me? I could barely help myself, much less someone else. Wow. I'd be honored to reach out to him. I know I'm not perfect, but I remember when I needed the same thing and a buddy reached out to me. Count me in. Succeeding at the big things has a lot to do with the little things. Words matter. Small things, big difference. Again, good to see you this morning, and we are continuing the series called Small Things, Big Difference, because we all know it's the small things, right? And we've got this, um, uh, this uh, saying that we got from this, uh, this series, it's often the small things that no one sees that results in the big things that everyone wants. Let's all say it together. It's often the no one sees. Great job. All right. Fantastic. It is the small things, isn't it? It is the little things that make a difference in life. It really is. Now, we started a few weeks ago with Pastor uh, Maddie, who um, uh, gave us this, this, this just one word, uh, or this one line, one day at a time. We just do life one day at a time. And then Pastor Brian did the last couple of weeks a message. First was hearing a personal word from God during this 21 days of prayer. We asked you to pray every day and, and, to, and, and listen for God's word, his direction in your life. And it's been a blessing. I, we did that, and, and I did some fasting, and it was amazing. God showed me some things I got to work on and some other things, and it just was really awesome. Um, and lastly, Pastor Brian did a fantastic message on God's thoughts, having God's thoughts in our, in our brain, because we control the input here. It's a question of what we put in, and he talked about that, changing the way you think. You know, being transformed by the renewing of our mind is really what it is, and that is key and crucial in our walk. Because how we think determines a lot of times our lives and how we react and how we respond to things. And he talked about at the end, he said, you know, it's not in our comfort zone that things really happen, that we don't really grow, we don't really learn in our comfort zone. And he asked you, and he could ask you to stretch out of your comfort zone and do some things maybe that are uncomfortable for you. Because that's where God shows up. This week I'm going to give a, I'm really excited to share with you because it's something I've worked on for years and it's something that I'm, you know, I'm perfect now. <laughs> Anybody who knows me is going to say, uh, but in this area, but it's something I had that struggle and a challenge with, and it's the power of our words. It's the power of our words. You, um, you, you'll see an insert in here that uh, came in your program, and there's a, a line here. I just want to, to bring it up to your attention. Is if you want to change the life that you have, you need to change the words you speak. If you want to change the life you have, you need to change the words you speak. It is so, so true. You look in your, um, uh, in your insert, Solomon, who was the wisest man that ever lived. He was, yes, he was worth billions and like hundreds of billions of dollars, but his wisdom, if you read any of the writings, he wrote three different books in the Bible, the provocative Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, and also Proverbs. And he wrote in Proverbs, the, the tongue, which is our mouth, what we say, can bring death or life. Then he wrote out another scripture. Those who control their tongue will have a long life. There's a promise to that. 
You'll have a long life at controlling this. And then opening your mouth can ruin everything. Are you, <laughs> have you ever done that? It's like, oh, it's like, oh, oh, oh my goodness gracious. And then James, the brother of Jesus. Now, I love James. Why? Because he was his brother. Now, what's so important about that? What would it take for you to convince your brother that you're the son of God? He either was a great salesman or it was the real deal, right? No, no. But James actually went on to write this book in a such practical, right-to-the-point kind of book. I love James. He tells it like it is. And he actually gave his, laid down his life for Christ. It's a great book. And he, he, read, he wrote this. We can change a large, large horse or we can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. We can move people with our words. It's amazing what the power of our words. But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. It's a small word sometimes that can destroy everything. Yeah. Small words. Small things. You know, when God made, if you're reading the book of Genesis, he made everything, right? And what does it say? God wiggled his nose like uh, I dream of genie, right? You know, <laughs> or he, get, he took a magic wand and boop. No, God said, let there be light. He made us in his image. He made, God made us in his image, which means that the power of our words is immense. Again, it will bring either life or death, life giving words or life taking words. Again, if you want to change the life you have, you need to change the words you speak. So my question to you is, are you speaking life-giving words or life-taking words? Show me a marriage that is struggling. I can almost guarantee you that you'll see life-taking words in that marriage. You never do this right. How many times have I told you to? I wish you were more like someone else. If it when my mom makes this meal, she, I did that once, and I didn't see my wife for two weeks, and then I saw her just a little bit out of this eye. <laughs> life-taking words. But you show me marriage is doing well, and you almost always see life-giving words. Man, you did a great job. That is the best meatloaf I have ever had. Thank you for doing the dishes, filling up my gas tank. Thank you for doing this. Whatever it is, you are awesome. Boy, you look really good today. I know when I hear that, I go, chicka wow, chicka wow. No, I mean, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Just having a little fun. It's okay to have a little fun in church, right? Maybe there's someone that you really don't like being around. Maybe it's a coworker or a friend or even a family member or even a boss that. They, why? Because maybe they're speaking life, taking words to you, they're putting you down, or, or always saying you're wrong, or always saying, oh, you did this, whatever, and, or even making fun of you. Oh, I used to be a master at that. I used to find a little thing that I could make fun of somebody and share it with everybody, because I would be the center of attention. People would laugh at me, oh, you're so funny, except for the person I put down. They would look at me like, you weren't supposed to share that information. How could you hurt me? We're friends. And I had to work on that. It's taken me years, and I'm still in progress. But maybe there's someone that you 
love being around. You just can't wait to hang out with that person. Why? Because they, maybe they build you up. Maybe they edify you. Maybe they're speaking life, giving words to you in your life. Maybe they're saying, you did a great job. Man, the way you did that, the oh, way you handled that, I just, I never would have thought, wow, that is awesome. Or I'm so proud of you. I was at a funeral yesterday, and it was the funnest funeral I've ever been to. And I can't tell you all the stories because they're not rated G. But oh my goodness, we, we spent the whole time laughing at this funeral because that's exactly what this gal wanted. She was 90 years old, and she wanted to have a celebration of her life. And all of her, she has 50 grandkids and 33 grandchildren. You know, and, and the gal asked me to do the service, and I did a little, she came up to me, she says, Tom, you're awesome. And for 10 seconds, I believed her. <laughs> really? Because it was life-giving words. It made me feel so good. Maybe that's what happens when you're around that person. That they give you life-giving words, and you want to be around them. You're attracted to that, and you want to be around them more. Now, some of the life-taking words that we, we say are, are not, we don't need to do it, you know? What are you wearing? What did you do to your hair? <laughs> when are you getting married? You know, the, t- the clock is ticking, honey. I want some grandbabies. Right? Or you, I've seen this at even at church where somebody will be maybe gone through a tough time and they just weren't have been around in the church for a while then maybe months or years and they come back and I've heard people say this, where you been? Come on, folks. It's not that. It's so good to see you. Give them a hug. I'm so glad you're here. How are you doing? Let's get together. Let's have coffee. And here's another one. We've all asked you to do, write these pray for ones down, right? On your uh, connection card, your pray for ones, people you're praying for. And then when they, you invite them to church and they come, if they don't know this, don't introduce them to us as, hey, here's my pray for one. Because they look at me like, my name is Bob. <laughs> yeah. If you talk to them and you know, they know it, that's great. But if they don't, don't freak them out, you know? Oh. And some of the, so that some of those are, are not meant life-taking words. And some are intentional though, aren't they? And maybe you've heard this. I can't stand you. I've never loved you. I found someone else. You were a lazy bum. Every time I ask you to do something, you never do it right. I wish we never had you. Some of you probably have heard some of these words, and there's more and more I can read on, but life-taking words. But life-giving words are you did a great job. So blessed to have you as my wife. Man, you really look good today. I love the way you handled that. I appreciate how hard you work for our family. Thank you for doing my laundry. Thank you for doing, I mean, look around you. And again, I'm so proud of you. I went to a men's group a few years ago here at the church and afterwards I, I had a flat tire and uh, it wasn't anybody else's fault. <laughs> and uh, a buddy of mine gave me a ride home and in the car I just, I just felt led to do this and I just looked at him and said, man, I love you. And he looked at his eyes opened up and looked at me and said, oh no, he thinks I'm thinking something else. Because <laughs> the music played and he moved closer. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, and he looked, at, and he got, and, and kind of tears welled up in his eyes, and I'm like, oh my gosh, what happened? He goes, Tom, nobody's, no man has ever told me that. My dad never told me that. No man has ever said that to me. And he realized he had never said that to his son. And he went home that next day and hanging around with his son, he looked at him and said, man, I love you. And his son just started to cry. Life-giving Words can change everything. 
So I'm going to ask you to be real honest here, and I'm asking you to be real. In your, in your insert, you'll see there's a little graph, and it says LG and LT, life-giving, life-taking. I want you to rate yourself in two categories. So take a pen, and I want you to take a circle and just rate where you are, where you think you are. It's not an exact science, but how are you when talking to others? Are you mostly giving life-giving words or life-taking words? Mostly life-giving words or life-taking words? So put a circle on the others. Where, where, whereabouts are you? And then the next one is just as important. I think we all kind of struggle with it in some fashion. Is put a why and rate yourself. How do you speak to yourself? Are you speaking life-giving words to yourself? Are life taking words to yourself? I'll never be able to be, I gotta be vulnerable with you. I'll be honest. I struggle with being, thinking I'm adequate enough to do this, to do ministry, to do, just to do this. I mean, I'm not afraid to talk in front of people. That's easy for me. But to be able to deliver something that's gonna impact your life and the responsibility and burden that it brings, then I, I, I look at Pastor Brian. If you were here last week, that message was amazing. I'm like, I watched it again last week. How could I ever do that? And it works in my head. I, 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 I'm really not that good enough. And I'm, you know, I really, are you struggling with that? Because it's important to deal with it. Give yourself life-giving words. You know why? Because God does. If you read his word, it's life-giving words everywhere in the Bible. And if you can go to our website, uh, it's lifechurchmain.org. There is on the resources, so there's a little tab that you can't see. It got cut off, but a little tab, you, you click on it. It says small things. It's, a little, it's the small things, big differences series. And there's going to be a whole list of them. It's called, it's pages of declarations. Lists for men and women and just basic ones. And some scriptures that tell you who you really are and who God thinks you are. God says you are more than a conqueror. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. God said you are good. God gives you life-giving words. He wants you to meditate on his word, not what everybody else says. And they're right there for you. I recommend it highly. Because he says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Not because I can do all things through me. No, it's I think to do all things through Christ because it's God that gives me the strength. And God that loves me. And God that sees me and gives me life-giving words. So I can recommend going to that. If that's a struggle for you like it is for a lot of us probably, please go to that and look at it. And find one, just find one and say it whenever you're feeling doubts about yourself, whenever you're feeling not adequate, whenever you're feeling anxious, whenever you're feeling fearful, whenever you're feeling lonely, whenever you're feeling not worthy. So I'm going to give you a couple things, maybe some tips that will help you. You know, your mom was right. If you got nothing good to say, she said What? Don't say anything at all. Let's say it together. If you got nothing good to say, don't say anything at all. She was right. Number one, and you know, if you can't say anything helpful, zip it. That's what she'd say to me. She'd look at me, she'd go, she didn't even have to say it. She'd give me the eyeball. And, you know, I knew, oh, oh, you know, zip it. I know it's kind of funny, but it's so true. Remember, opening your mouth can ruin everything. <laughs> Man, look at this uh, scripture in your, in your insert. Ephesians 4, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those that hear them. So your words are supposed to be an encouragement for those that hear them. Yeah. And again, I, I, this has been an area of my life I've struggled. And this week especially, 
when I was, I fasted food for a whole week. I didn't eat anything from Saturday morning to this, yesterday morning. And I fasted a whole bunch of things that I really wanted. And God led me to do that. I'm not saying to do that for anybody else, but he really led me to do it. And I could never do it before. And I only had a couple times where I had some, you know, some hunger pains and it really wasn't bad. And every time I'd said, my God will supply all my needs. And I would say, the joy of the Lord is my strength. I would find scriptures. And every time it changed how I felt, it changed, it got me through it. Yeah, and it was such a blessing. So again, you want to change the life you have, you need to change the words you speak. Life-giving words. Again, Solomon, we talked about him. He wrote the book of Proverbs, and there's a couple scriptures in here. He says, the words of the reckless pierce like swords. Just picture that, piercing like swords. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. The tongue of the wise brings healing. The soothing tongue is a tree of life, but the perverse tongue crushes the spirit. Have you ever been crushed by someone, by what they said to you? Have you ever been just crushed, just beat down, or been pierced by what they said and how they said it to you? I'm sure we can all probably relate to that. So number one, if you can't say something helpful, zip it. Number two, if you think something good, say it. If you think something good about someone or you see them doing something good, say it. I love this. Because why? Because there's always something good. Yes, even your family members. There's always something good to say about someone. There's always something good to say about someone. In Romans it says, faith comes by hearing. Yes, your faith comes by hearing. And it says hearing the word of God, but also hearing these encouraging words. Because we're wired that way. Encouraging words, yes. If you think of something good, say it. It reminds me of a story. My, my wife, Christine, is so good at this. And she's so much better than I at the zipping part. She really is. Well, my daughter, Kelsey, who's 22 years old now, and a great kid and just, just doing a great job with her life. And when she was little, she was in that awkward stage, you know, that, that preteen stage where her body's grown and all kinds of things. And, 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 and it kind of reminded me of, if you watch the inauguration, it kind of reminded me of Donald Trump's son. You know, I saw him walking, like, he looks so awkward, poor kid. You know, he's like, and, I just, and you know, I, you know, I'm not trying to pick on him, but I just, that's what I, I mean, I remember that, you know? And, uh, and so she was like that, and she couldn't make friends. She just had a hard time approaching people, and just, you know, and she has a great spirit, and she's an outgoing kid, but she just was so awkward at that stage. But my wife said, no, Kelsey, you're good at meeting people. I just want you to know, you're good at meeting people. Because she said, mom, mom, you're good at making friends. Over and over, she would say that to you. You're good at making friends. You are good at meeting people. You're good... And I watched over a period of months and over like the next few years how she changed. She believed it. And then a few years later, she would have parties at her house, you know, birthday parties and stuff like that. And we didn't have room for cars. There was so many kids, dozens and dozens of friends had come. And my wife and I would be after the party like, Whew, that was brutal. And <laughs> luckily we had enough ice cream or something. You know, I just, wow. But we were so blessed because she had so many friends. But that's because she believed it in her heart. She said, yes. And she said, yes, mom. And she believed it. Changed her life. And if you know her, she's the most outgoing kid in the world. What an awesome thing. We're going to look at uh, uh, the story of a, a great character in the Bible. So if you can open your Bibles up to, I think it's 31 in your Bibles in the chairs, or Genesis 37 and chapters 37 and 39, I'm going to kind of illustrate uh, um, a little bit of this story of Joseph. Joseph was this great character in the Bible, and uh, he has just an amazing story. And 
and I want you to hang on. It's going to take a couple minutes to go through it, but there's something that's going to jump out. Hopefully, let's look for, the, look for the nugget here because God is so good. Now, Joseph was one of 12 sons of Jacob. And it says here in 30, uh, chapter 37, verse 2, it said he was 17 years old. He often tended his father's flocks. He worked with it for his half-brothers. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. He was honest and honorable. Joseph loved Joseph. It says much more than his other children because Joseph was born to him at an old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe, but his brothers hated him because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say, they couldn't say a kind word to him. They couldn't say a kind word to him. Remember the power of your words. Do you think they couldn't? They knew how to talk. They wouldn't. Their hearts got hardened to They got jealous of this boy. And they would probably imagine what they were saying. Yeah, he thinks he's the favorite. Look at him, he's such a tattletale. We can't do anything around him. Oh, here he comes. Can you imagine what they were saying to themselves and to each other? Life-taking words by his brothers. And then God gives him this dream, and he gives him a couple of them. It says here, one night Joseph had a dream and he told his brothers about it. He said, listen to my dream. He was excited. God revealed something to him and he wanted to share it. We were all out in this field trying, tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly my bundle stood up. You and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. And his brothers responded. Boy, that's a nice word, Right? I think it was a little harsher than that because they said, so you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him even more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. What was he? He was excited. He was full of life. He was, there was a sense of innocence with Joseph. And soon after he had another dream where he shares with his brothers again and his dad, the sun and the moon, the 11 stars, all bowed down to him. They hated him even more. Even his dad said, what kind of dream is this? I think his dad just kind of checked out. Was he not there or what? You know, he's, he's making this kid the example of his favorite. He's putting him to oversee sometimes his brothers. They're doing all the work in the field, and he just comes to watch and watches them. I mean, my goodness, then it reports back. They hate him. It fueled the fire, and they got to a point where they said, we're going to kill him. We're going to put an end to Joseph. That's it, period. And they started to plot and plan. And they said one day, Jacob sent him out to oversee them again and tell them, report back what they're doing. And they grabbed him and they were going to, uh, they took his robe and they were going to tie him up and they were going to kill him. And, but Reuben said, one of his brothers had compassion. He said, no, let's not do that. Let's not have blood on our hands. Let's just throw him in the cistern as well. Let's, let's throw him in there. And he can just starve. And it says even he came back. To, he was going to come back and save him, bring him back home. He had compassion for his brother. He knew he was doing wrong. And God is so good, he named a sandwich right after him. <laughs> but it's so true, you know, that Reuben had compassion, right? And then Judah said, let's sell him in, because they saw some slave traders driving by. And, uh, and they did, they sold him. And he got involved, in, and, and he was sold to slavery, to Egyptian slave masters, and then he was sold to Potiphar, not just any master, but Potiphar. Now, Potiphar was the captain of the guard of Pharaoh. Now, Pharaoh was the most powerful man in the world 
most powerful country was Egypt, and he was the Pharaoh. He was the, he was the ultimate. He was even looked upon as a god to his people. So Joseph is sold into slavery, and now he's in Potiphar's house. If we go to chapter 39, we'll continue. Verse 2, it says, The Lord was with Joseph, and he succeeded in everything he did. You're going to see a theme here. He served in the home of the Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed and realized that the Lord was with him. Well, how does Potiphar know that the Lord is with Joseph? He was an Egyptian. He worshiped many gods. God revealed that to him because God is involved in every aspect of your life, even when you feel you're in slavery. This pleased Potiphar. Soon made him a personal attendant. He put him in charge of everything. It got to the point, you read down in verse 6, with Joseph there, and this is Potiphar talking, he didn't worry about a thing except for what kind of food to eat. So, jo- so Potiphar's only thoughts for the day, hmm, should I have bacon and eggs this morning? Or, I mean, that's it. Everything else was taken care of by Joseph. He was incredibly blessed. He was a diligent manager. He worked hard and a great leader. But Joseph was handsome, it says, and he was well, but he was a hunk of burning love. <laughs> and Potiphar's wife noticed him, and she's, oh, want me some of that? And she asked him, she wanted to, you know, be with him, right? And he refused. Even through this trial, even through being put in slavery, and he had a choice. He probably could have been, in his mind, promoted if he, t- you know, becomes really tight with Potiphar's wife. Maybe he'll get more blessings. But no, he says, he says to her, look, my master trusts me with everything in this entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He's held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would, be, it would be a great sin against God. Joseph, even in the trials, even in the challenges, was walking with God side by side. Well, you know, if you know the rest of the story, if you don't read on, I would recommend it. It's a great story where Potiphar's wife got mad. And actually, she makes up this idea that, oh, yeah, I'll get you. And she says, that, she told everybody that he raped her or was going to, he wanted to or tried to. And told her husband Potiphar, he got so mad. He had him thrown in jail. He could have killed him, but no, that wasn't God's plan. Had him thrown in jail. We read on in verse 21. It says, but the Lord was with Joseph in prison and showed him his, un, his, his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite in the pr- prison, with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. Look at this. This is the second time. This is the second major issue, a challenge. This wasn't a flat tire. This is prison. You know, some people think, oh, he was in prison for maybe a couple days. No, no, no. This was over a decade he's in prison. Now, as I read this story, and I looked for it over and over again, looked for it over and over again, looked for it over and over again, I asked God, sure, something's missing here, because I've heard sermons about Joseph, and the reason he had these challenges is because he was prideful. He boasted about, look at my robe. Oh, look at my dreams. No, I don't believe that at all, because nowhere do you see in this story of Joseph is him saying a life-taking word to his brothers about his brothers, a life-taking word about Potiphar's wife. He never defends himself. He never accuses anybody. He never, he never has any bitterness or resentfulness or anger. And do you think he could? How would we react? 
Never once is it recorded. I think it's there. It's not there because it didn't happen. I think God is showing us in this scripture that that's the key. Life giving words only. God doesn't like when we complain. He doesn't like it at all. Look at the Israelites. They were supposed to be in the desert for just a few weeks or so. 40 years. Why? Because they're doing some of this. Oh my goodness. Yeah. If you go on with the rest of the story with Joseph and you can read on on your own, but what happens is he, while he's in prison, not only does God give him dreams, but he also gives him the ability. It's a gift that he can interpret dreams. And there's a couple of Pharaoh's um, servants that are in prison with him and they have this recurring dream. They can't figure it out and he interprets it and he was right. And the word got out. And Pharaoh starts having these dreams night after night after night. He can't shake it. It's like, what is going on? I can't figure it out. And he hears that Joseph is this one that interprets. He calls him in and he had all of his sorcerers and his priests and everybody trying and they were guessing. I had no idea. And Joseph interpreted it and Pharaoh believed him. And what it was is the dream said that there was going to be seven years of plenty. Seven years of plenty. And after that, there was going to be seven years of famine. And Pharaoh said, okay, what are we going to do? And Joseph gave him. He was prepared. And, and Pharaoh made him in charge of all of it. Became the governor of Egypt. And years go by, and that, sure enough, that seven years of famine happened, and all the surrounding countries are coming to Egypt. They're begging for money. They, they're starving to death. And one day, Israel shows up. And Joseph's brothers show up. They don't recognize him because it's been many years and he's matured, he's grown, and he's dressed probably in splendor. He's the number two guy. He is the man. And he's in charge of distribution. And they're asking for help. And Joseph says, I'll take care of you. They couldn't stand any longer. Eventually he reveals himself because his heart was breaking because he longed, he loved his brothers and his family. He missed them. And they, they realized it was him and they were very scared and they, were, they thought, oh my gosh, he, could, he had the power to kill them or strip everything or throw them in prison, take away their, not only their possessions but also their family and make them slaves. He could have done anything. And what does he say? It's in chapter 50. He says this, but don't be afraid. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. If you've heard that scripture, this is where it comes from. You intended, he's talking about, you intended it to harm me, but God intended it for good. And he goes on, he says, he's talking about God brought me to this prison so I could save the lives of many people. You, he says, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them, life-giving words. Now he had every right to be mad. He had every right to be bitter, And he also says, God put me in prison. God never does anything like that, does he? Oh, yes, he does. Why? Because he has a bigger plan for you. Do you think Joseph grew during that time? Do you think he grew, I think he grew closer to God. I think he grew as a man. I think he grew in every aspect and God blessed him and he never departed from God. I mean, this is, if this is not the closest um, character in the Bible to Jesus, I don't know who is. What an amazing story. And you might be saying to yourself, Tom, that sounds great, but I, I, you know, that's just, I, am, I am just wired this way. I got to speak my mouth whenever. Well, let me tell you the truth. I used to think that about myself. Then I read the gifts of the Spirit 
There's nine of them. In love, joy, and peace, patience, kindness. And at the end, it's self-control. And I tried to cross that out once in my Bible and try a different version. And just say, they all say the same thing. Because you can't. You say, you can't I can't do this on my own. And you know, you're right. You can't. Yes, I can give you some tips. You know, if you see something, zip it, right? If you see something good, say it. Yeah, these are helpful. But without, step three. It's with a transformed life. It doesn't happen unless you have a transformed life. And your notes, step three is a transformed life. It takes that. It takes a transformed life to do this because we can't do it on our own. We have to be dependent. During this whole fast, this whole week of fasting food, I realized how dependent I was on God, how utterly dependent I was on him. That really brought me closer. It was such a blessing. Look at the scripture in the last one here in your notes. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what's in your heart. How do we change our heart? What we have to do is say yes to Jesus. Say, Lord, I can't figure this out myself. I accept you as not only my Savior, but as my Lord. Guide my steps. Say yes. He comes in, and Pastor Brian says this so well. He starts moving around the furniture. He starts making changes. He starts redirecting things in your life. That's exactly how. I don't know how many times I had something really witty, something funny, something that was cool to say about a circumstance that I didn't say it because only because the power of Jesus in my life and the ability to bite my tongue. <laughs> no, it's so true because that was it, or else I would have. Yes, and you'll see this wheel. And this is our, our vision statement, transform lives. It's in the back of your program, and I recommend, take, it, take a look at it. You'll hear us talk about this. To the cows come home. We're going to keep saying, why? Because it works. Number one, daily devotions. Are you spending time every day with God? If you don't have a, a, a way to do that, you know, if you don't have a Bible, take one of these. Who cares? Just take one. Bring it home and read it. Crack it open. Start with the Gospels. Go on version. It's one of the best ones. A lot of us are using technology today. We use it in a positive way. There's so many great Bible plans out there. You can read some that will, there'll be specific topics or you can read the, reading a scripture every day for a year. I've done this for several years and it blesses me every single time. God speaks to me every single time I read his word and he gives me life-giving words. He says, Tom, you're more than a conqueror. Tom, I made you in my image. Tom, you're a rock star. Well, that's not really what he says. But, but that's what I hear sometimes. But it's true. So I recommend it. If you have any questions, see me afterwards. Number two is pray for one. You know, we ask you to write these down and then share. It says that in your uh, connection card, and you have these little bracelets. It says, send me one. God, send me one today to share your love with. Send me one today to share your love with. It just happened to me that uh, Tuesday, my wife and I were looking for an item to buy. And where do you go when you don't want to pay retail online? Craigslist. <laughs> so we were out there looking through stuff and we found this thing and it was like great price and we're like, wow, we're gonna, okay. And um, we checked it out and, and we wanted to go see it because it was a good size purchase and we wanted to go actually check it out. And, and uh, we, I, I texted the, the number and the person got back to me and we were excited to get the address at the time. Then I said, I never even asked the person's name. I don't know if it's a man, female, you know, I just know where they live and I'm just, you know, that's me. I'm just ready to go. Sometimes it's ready, fire, aim, you know. <laughs> and, and, um, I better at least do that. So I, I said, hi, my name is Tom. What's your name? 
And the, the, the text comes back, my name is Muhammad. I'm like, ooh. I gotta be honest. My first thought was like, am I gonna make it home? I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry, but I'm just being honest. You know, all these things are out there. And I, you know. and then, I, then I prayed about it. I said, you know, I really felt strongly. This is, this is a send me one. I don't know why, but I, so I went. My wife and I went and we looked at the item and I was like, wow. And then I started talking to Muhammad. He told me his story. And he says, hey, what are you using the money for? He says, well, um, my fiance lives in Iraq and that's where he came from and he's, you know, he's going to school and he's trying to better himself and says, I need to try to raise money to bring her over here because I love her dearly. And the way he said it, just I, I almost lost it. I was like, I believe it. And we had a conversation and he goes, and I, and I, my wife actually, and I actually talked him down a little bit in price. Um, don't, hold it, don't hold it against us. Because <laughs> that's what Steve and Dave tell us to do. No. Uh, <laughs> not bad, but just a little bit so I could feel good about it. But, uh, but he says, you know, I, he goes, and he couldn't speak that great English. Because I trust you. I trust you. And he said, I mean, we never met before. He looked in my eyes and said, I trust you. I says, okay. And uh, so we, we brought the item and we're getting ready to leave. And I, I just felt this compelling thing. To, and I, I said, can I pray for you? And he talk, he's a Muslim. And he, we, talked about, we talked about God a little bit in the conversation. I says, do you know what I do? And he says, you're a pastor. Because I, I told him I was a pastor. I said, yeah. And he says, can I pray for you? And he says, yes. And we prayed. We had this moment. We just held hands and prayed. And then he got up and he looked and his eyes were kind of watering up a little bit. And he goes, can I give you a hug? <laughs> And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so he latches on to me, you know. And he hugged me for a little longer than I wanted him to, you know. And it was okay, but I'm out. This is so powerful. He said, I'll come to your church. And so maybe he'll pop in someday. I hope so. And it changed my whole perspective. I saw him differently. I saw him through God's eyes. This guy who just wants to do the right thing and who's in love and just wants a chance. Loves America. So cool. Next thing is I'll serve. If you're not serving, man, I'd recommend it highly because you cannot outgive God. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And God blesses you when you serve. And I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. When you see somebody serving here, or the doors, or they're ushering, or they're downstairs with your children, or whatever it is, thank them. Encourage them. Give them an encouraging word. Say, thank you for blessing my kids today. They'll just pick them up and go. Say, thank you for what you're doing. I really appreciate it. Love on those people because they need it just as much as you and I do. Get involved. Come to grow. It starts again in February. And plug in. Last thing is you heard us talk about life groups. And you know what? We've been doing this for a long time. I've been doing this for almost 16 years. Been involved in groups. And it's been a blessing in my heart. I get to know all kinds of people. And I really enjoy it. And I have relationships that have lasted years because of it. Because you know what? Jesus said, love God. And then he said, love others. And there's no better way to do that than getting around a group of people, sharing life together, encouraging each other, and being there when they need you and them when you need them. I mean, it's great to have church. It's great to, but real connections and real life doesn't happen in rows. It happens in circles. We are one-on-one. We are in a small group of people sharing life, doing a Bible story or whatever that you're doing and doing life together. So I encourage you to sign up. I have one that's uh, Monday night. If you've never gone to a group come or if you've never gone to mine come or if you just want to hang out with me come, I don't really care. But plug in somewhere. And you'll be blessed. Think about these words that Jesus said. Can you imagine how Peter felt after he just got revelation from God that Jesus was the Messiah and he looked right at him and he said, on this rock I will build my church. You think Peter was like, whoa. He 
felt great. Life-giving words. Paul, who wrote a lot of the New Testament, he was in jail and he wrote this and he wrote to his buddies, Timothy and Silas, and he said, and he wrote it more than once, he said, I always thank God for you. He's in the midst of a jail cell and he's writing these encouraging words to his brothers in Christ. I always thank God for you. You think that was just invigorating and encouraging and edifying? Yes, it was. Last story, then I'll wrap up. A little boy came home from school and um, had a note from the teacher. He was too young to read at that point and he gave the note to his mom and he sat down in the chair and mom read the note, started to cry. And the little boy said, Mommy, Mommy, what did the note say from the teacher? And the mom said, the teacher said that you are too smart for their school. You're too gifted, and they can't help you any longer. She wants me to keep you home and teach you because it, you just need more than they can handle. Oh, okay, Mommy. Years go on. And boy becomes a man, becomes very successful in life. And his mother dies many years later. And afterwards, he's going through her stuff, and he found a, a notebook or a folder, and in there was this letter from the teacher. And he opens up, and he reads it. And I said, dear Mrs. So-and-so, your son must be mentally ill. He can't get anything right. There's something wrong. He's no longer welcome in our school. You must keep him home and figure it out yourself. And Albert Einstein said to himself, thank you, Mom. Because he became and was one of the smartest men that ever lived and changed the course of the world with some of his interventions, some of his theories. Because of life-giving words. She had a choice, but what did she do? Life-giving words. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. When I asked you to rate yourself earlier, maybe there were some of you that say, you know, Tom, you're right, I do struggle with that. I do. I need help with that. I need to be more of an encourager, not only to other people, but to myself. And if that's true, with every head bowed, every eye closed, while you're there, can you just raise your hand if that's you? God's speaking to a lot of hands. Thank you. Thank you for being honest. Thank you for being real. That's exactly what God wants. It says in James that when we confess our sins to each other, we are healed. So this is part of the healing process that you're confessing. You're saying, yes, I need help. Let me pray over you. Dear Lord, Thank you for those that raise their hand. They know they're struggling with this area of words. Help them this week and beyond. Touch them. Help them with self-control to give life-giving words, no longer life-taking words. We ask that in Jesus' name.